Please join me in prayer. Holy God, through the generations you have spoken to us, you have sent voices crying out in the wilderness. You have sent words of an overjoyed new father and an expectant mother. You have sent the assurance of a condemned man on a cross. Quiet in us any voice but your own, that by the power of your spirit we might hear the words you speak to us today. This morning I'll be reading from Psalm 46 uh, rather than Isaiah, as you find in your bulletin, uh, the common English Bible. God is our refuge and strength, a help always near in time of great trouble. That is why we won't be afraid when the world falls apart. When the mountains crumble into the center of the sea and the waters roar and rage. When the mountains shake because of its surging waves. Selah. There is a river whose streams gladden God's city, the holiest dwelling of the Most High. God is in that city. It will never crumble. God will help it when morning dawns. Nations roar, kingdoms crumble. God utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of heavenly forces is with us. The God of Jacob is our place of safety. Selah. Come see the Lord's deeds. What devastation he has imposed upon the earth, bringing wars to an end in every corner of the world, breaking the bow and shattering the spear, burning chariots with fire. That's enough. Now know that I am God. I am exalted among all nations. I am exalted throughout the world. The Lord of heavenly forces is with us. The God of Jacob is our place of safety. Selah. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God.
Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> so in case you're a little confused, uh, when you try to leave town and get three weeks of services all jammed into, you know, the time before you have to leave, some wires get crossed. So uh, the readings that I, that, uh, the Psalm 46 reading and then now uh, the gospel reading from Luke 23, these are actually next Sunday's readings by the lectionary calendar. Um, and and I, that was actually on purpose, meaning next week I'm doing something I never do. And I promise, well, I don't promise. I can't promise that I will ever do it again. And that is next week we're actually going to talk about Thanksgiving um, instead of Christ the King Sunday, which we're supposed to be. So I don't like to talk about secular holidays in worship. It's Christ the King Sunday next week. Well, I compromise, so let's do Christ the King this week, and that's what we're doing, and we'll do Thanksgiving next week. So Luke 23, starting in verse 33. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They drew lots as a way of dividing up his clothing. The people were standing around watching, but the leaders sneered at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he really is the Christ, sent from God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came up to him, offering him sour wine, saying, If you really are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above his head there was a notice of the formal charge against him. It read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, to the, responding, the other criminal spoke harshly to him, Don't you fear God, seeing that you've also been sentenced to die? We are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, you, O Christ. God of unbroken weakness, you laugh at our love of power. May we find kingship in the love that is killed for speaking its name without even the shadow of force. We pray through Jesus Christ, the King of Fools. Amen. Today is the last Sunday of the big table. Uh, it's been 11 months that we've been milking this theme for all that it's worth. I was at a preaching conference this week in Princeton, and I told my colleagues, they were asking about sermon series, so I've been doing one for 11 months. And they said, are your people sick of it by now? I said, I don't know, I've never asked them. <laughs> so if you're sick of it, well, i got good news for you. This is the last week of the big table. And like I said, they, these are the readings picked out by the Lectionary Committee for Christ the King Sunday, which is a high holiday of the Christian church, though I think one that probably is least understood, recognized, or celebrated of any other holiday. And there's different reasons for that. It might be that it's the most recently established Unlike Transfiguration Sunday or all the other good ones that have been happening for, you know, a thousand years plus, Christ the King Sunday wasn't established until 1925 when Pope Pius XI saw that the earthly governments of that time were becoming more and more nationalistic. 
And of course, all this was happening on the heels of what? World War I, which is a war caused by Christian nationalism. And so Pope Pius XI at that time established this holiday to remind the so-called Christian nations of Europe of what king it is that they served. And many of you know that Christian nationalism is on the rise in our time as well. Those who in the name of Jesus would seek to impose a Christian theocracy across this land. It was Christian nationalism that enabled people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th to wave signs that said, Christ is King and Trump is my president. You saw those signs and you probably looked on them with a puzzled look going, how could someone do this in the name of Jesus? And witnessing those actions and many others uh, have caused some of you, many of you, to wonder, why should I even stay Christian if this is what I end up being associated with? Any of you have that sense? You don't have to raise your hand. You can. (laughs) I know you have. You've told me. Well, the earliest summary of the Christian gospel was not God loves you or that your sins are forgiven. The earliest summary of the Christian gospel were three simple words, Jesus is Lord, which is another way of saying that Jesus is King. It was then a political statement as well as a faith statement because in first century Roman Empire, there already was a Lord, right? His name was Caesar. He's the one who brought peace on earth. He's the one who demands your allegiance. And so for those early Christians to say Jesus is Lord was to say that Caesar is not. And so to be a Christian at that time was to put oneself at odds with the political powers of coercion. And so if there are those of you here today, and I know there probably are, who you'd like just to keep politics completely out of the pulpit, I think you're actually misunderstanding what Christianity is. See, though God is certainly not partisan, Following Jesus has implications for this world, including our politics. The earliest Christians understood that. Some of them died because of that. And we must understand it as well. So what does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? Let's think back over the last 11 months. What have we learned about Jesus in this Gospel of Luke? Well, his very first public words were when he came to the synagogue in his own hometown and he said that he has come to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to liberate the oppressed. This was Jesus' mission statement from day one and he never deviates from it. Jesus is always at work bringing more people to the table. He sets free those who have been beset by shame and dignifies those who have been oppressed. He heals the sick and he includes the outcast. The people that we think can never truly belong are given VIP treatment. That's Jesus' mission. And of course, not everybody's excited about it, are they? We saw that this year as well. Uh, Amidst this uh, radical, inclusive love that Jesus proclaims, there was always, every step of the way, resistance to that message from those who were in power. 
See, because they actually like the seating arrangement just as it is. <laughs> they like the table seating as it is. Me at the seat of power, right? Other people maybe looking at me and, and, and looking to me with, you know, great respect and dignity. And, and, of course, there can be some servants who are bringing me food and whatnot. But the truth is most people are not invited, right? That's the setup. And, and anybody who threatens that status quo, uh, there's going to be consequences for it. And so it becomes clear that as Jesus challenges the status quo, those who are in power respond swiftly and lethally. So who do you think is the, the most famous person ever to be put to death by the state, executed by the state? It's Jesus. I, I don't know if we're used to thinking of him that way, right? Because we're often taught that well, all of this is preordained by God as if human beings had nothing to do with it. The Roman Empire is the one that put Jesus to death, and they did it as a warning to anyone who'd threatened their sovereignty. And in case you had any doubts about their intentions, Luke makes it really clear. They state their intentions by putting that sign above his cross, right? This is the king of the Jews. In other words, this is what happens to people who claim to be a lord other than Caesar. If you want to proclaim yourself to be king, this is what we are going to do to you. And that, you know, that was just common sense at the time. Uh, who had a better claim to be king? Uh, Caesar or a Jewish peasant from Galilee who is busy loving people? I mean, it's pretty obvious which one is really king. And yet, 2,000 years later, you won't find a single person celebrating Caesar is King Sunday. Not one. But Jesus' kingdom of forgiveness and inclusion endures to this day while the Roman Empire is a part of our history books. How on earth did that happen? I, I believe something happened on the cross that changed the world forever such that we can never understand power the same way again. Luke says, when they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Two weeks ago, as you celebrated Reformation Sunday, you sang, a mighty fortress is our God. And there's that wonderful line in that hymn that says, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fell him. When Fred Rogers was a seminary student at Pittsburgh Seminary before he became Mr. Rogers, he asked his seminary professor, Dr. William Orr, what is the one little word that shall fell the evil one? And Dr. Orr said, forgiveness. Evil simply disintegrates in the presence of forgiveness. See, when, when evil itself is seeking to undo God's chosen one, the one who has come to set us free, that one speaks a word that no one could ever expect or anticipate. The word that even though we have heard it thousands of times, we cannot hear it enough, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. These words are eternally significant. 
They cover everything. They cover everyone. The radical message that God in Christ speaks is the last word of forgiveness, and it cannot be unspoken. It is a bell that cannot be unrung. These words reverberate across the cosmos to this very day, and they will reverberate throughout eternity. And what these words reveal is that it wasn't just Jesus who died on the cross that day. What also died was the notion that God is vindictive, that God is angry with you, or mad at you, or has it out to punish you or someone else. When Jesus looks upon the very people who are putting him to death and says, Father, forgive them, then nothing can ever be the same again. The heart of God is revealed clearly right there for all to see, and that heart is one of unconditional, unlimited forgiveness. And this forgiveness is true whether you believe it or not. Most people there that day did not believe it or understand it. The religious leaders scoffed. (laughs) The soldiers mocked. One of the criminals joined in the fun from the cross. Most of us still don't see, but that word endures and cannot be unspoken. Christ the King reveals to us that true power is not the power to coerce or the power to get one's way. It's not the power to seize control of the government and install a theocracy and try to somehow make everyone else Christian. No, the power that's revealed on the cross is the power of forgiveness. And and it looks so, so weak in the face of the power of the world, in the face of overwhelming evil. But, But when we see it, when we somehow hear it and it breaks through to our ears, then that which looks so strong, that power that looks so inevitable, it just crumbles. And what's left is radiant divine love. And somehow, the other criminal sees through what's going on. He sees Jesus for who he is and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He sees the king has come to set us free from evil itself, not by a show of force, but by an act of love. And that is true power. The good news is that Jesus is king, but he is unlike any king that we have ever known. His last word reveals to us in the most dramatic way possible that there is no one who is unwanted at God's table. If those who are putting Jesus to death are welcomed, then that means everyone else is too. Those with whom you agree and those with whom you adamantly disagree, they are welcome too. All forgiven, included, and loved. Evil will not get the last word, for the one word of forgiveness will fell evil at the last. This table is set for all, and whenever you come to this place of worship, come knowing that all are welcomed here, even you, even me. You are forgiven, you are included, and you are loved just as you are. And nothing can unspeak this last word. Let's pray.
Gracious God, your goodness is greater than we dare believe. Lord, give us faith to trust your word of forgiveness that covers us and covers everyone and everything. May we be a people who follows the Savior of forgiveness and inclusion and love, and may all of our acts in public and in private reflect this kind of kingdom. Lord, may it be so. Let us pray together in the words that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.